Good evening, saints! Yeah. I think yesterday was truly monumental in the days of our church, don't you? Yeah. It was. It's difficult to move on from the topics that the Holy Spirit has illuminated to us about the goodness of our great Father, huh? Yeah. We're all rejoicing in our spirits, even as uh, we're fighting physical sickness. Forgive us as we blow our noses while we teach. Tonight we're going to begin with a light review of seven items to help you pick up on the themes that we've been developing over these last chapters. We want to assist you in envisioning the larger mosaic that Jeremiah is painting as a spirit-inspired artist conveying God's thoughts to mankind. Now the first item is it should be abundantly obvious that comparisons between Jesus and Jeremiah are readily available. We have a few slides to show you. So Jeremiah as a type of Christ. Both men were known of God before birth. Both men were, quote, men of sorrows acquainted with grief. Both men proclaimed the temple a den of thieves. Both predicted the destruction of the temple. Both had God's word in their mouth. Both of them were under divine protection. Both of them traveled to Judah. They proclaimed the message. They condemned religious leaders. And they taught the new covenant, the Brit Kadashah. The next slide. Both of them were disclaimed by false prophets. Both described himself as a lamb. Both called the people to repentance. They, hate, they were hated by their own countrymen. They were mocked. They were scourged by the chief priests. And they were rejected by their family. They both spoke of Jerusalem's destruction. They both wept for Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem. They both warned people to flee the city. They also predicted its coming glory. Leaders tried to find fault in them. They were given into the hands of people and condemned to die by prophets, priests, and the people altogether. They were found not to be worthy of death. They suffered a symbolic death and resurrection, and they trusted that Yahweh would save him. And just so you know, this isn't just 2,000 years later of Christian commentary. In the first century, when, they, when Jesus asked, who do they say I am? One of the responses is Jeremiah. They thought he was Jeremiah. So that was the first item of our light review of seven items. The second happened two weeks ago in chapters 24 and 25. We introduced a concept that the content of those chapters was like a man with his son who had many servants. The man is displeased that his son and his servants were all disobedient. So the man took one of the servants and commanded him to spank his son. After the son is corrected, the man then proceeds to discipline all of his servants in order and saves the one who spanked his son for last. At the end of that evening, we had, we had to come to grips with the truth that we have been the servant that abused the son. Fast forward one week to last week. In chapters 26 through 27, 
our conclusion that we all came to together is that we are called to become that crucified son. We're called to be the ones that are crucified, taking up our cross daily and carrying our own death around so that the life of God might be revealed in us and through us. Hey, come on. Come on. A third point of review for you this evening also comes from chapter 26. But specifically, verse 2, as we encountered the command that God gave Jeremiah. He said, tell them everything I commanded you. Do not omit a word. In studying the word gara that evening, which is the word omit in English, we realized that men could a genuine revelation, a genuine transformation from God, had a command not to diminish his word, not to draw back from his word, or be restrained from the piercing truth of the revelation they were given. Now this evening, this concept will be equally important. And we will frequently encounter men who blatantly manufacture supposed revelation from God. So instead of subtraction, they're performing addition, which can cause you to be removed from the very face of the earth itself. Wow. If you didn't catch that, the only thing worse than diminishing the word of God is to invent a supernatural experience that didn't occur. Let's get to our fourth point of review. We'd be remiss if we didn't reflect on the lessons that we learned from Shiloh. In Jeremiah 26, 6, we had a reference to Shiloh. And we found out that the ark did not protect Shiloh while the people were in disobedience. The temple did not protect Jerusalem while the people were in disobedience. And from that, we drew a conclusion that church attendance does not prevent God's judgment when the attendees are in sin any more than the ark protected Shiloh or the temple protected Jerusalem. Our fifth point of review, we noted that the custodians of the faith all too often form the religious resistance to the very plans of God that are enacted. We learned that Micah prophesied that Jerusalem would be plowed over like a field, and King Hezekiah did not kill him. King Hezekiah listened to what he said. However, Uriah prophesied the very same thing, and King Jehoiakim did kill him. And then we saw a siege. This caused men, like Paul's rabbi, Gamaliel, to realize that the custodians of the faith can find themselves resisting the very will of God but they can never stop it from happening. Our sixth point of review. We had an excellent example of the untold, unrecognized, and certainly underappreciated blessings of true generational ministry. A man named Shaphan. Shaphan! He produced a son whose name was Ahikam. Come on, wow. And Ahikam produced a son whose name was Gedaliah. Yeah. Shaphan is responsible for publicizing the book of Deuteronomy, the very book of the law that Jeremiah quoted from more than any other prophet. His son Ahikam was responsible for saving Jeremiah's life during the reign of Jehoiakim. He was the one that stood up for him and saved his life. 
in the midst of everybody against him. Ahikam's son, Gedaliah, was responsible for caring for Jeremiah in his latter years. We had generational ministry. Three men of God, one after the other after the other, who were righteous in their day. Come on. Our seventh and final point of review. Somebody say seventh. Seventh. Our seventh and final point of review is to remind you that we looked at chapter 27, literally, and through the lens of so. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, just think hidden or secret level of interpretation. This allowed us to contemplate the implications of a cross-bearing Jew and the message that went out from Jerusalem about a coming kingdom. Then how that message came right back to Jerusalem in the end. Now, before we read the chapters and dive in this evening, we want to pray with you. Anybody in the room feel stirred to pray for us before we get going? Mighty God, we love your law, Father. Lord God, we pray, Lord, that your word will be open to us, Lord, in new ways. Father, we love your testimony, Father. Your laws are the light to us. Open our eyes, God, that we can see it. Father, circumcise our hearts, God, that we would walk out your law. Lord, transform us, God, as you open our minds to receive what our brothers have for us tonight, Father. Lord God, transform every person in the hearing of these words, Lord God. We would take your word and we would apply it in our lives, mighty God. We love your testimony, Father, and we love you. Meet with us tonight in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're going to read chapters 28 and 29 from beginning to end. And then as is our custom, we're going to go through them line by line. That way you hear them twice in the evening, once as an overview, and then you have the opportunity to read and interpret even between the lines. And this brings us to uh, Miss Jennifer, because she reads when we're in town. Give us chapter 28 and 29. She reads even when we're out of town. Y'all just don't get to hear it. In the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azor, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Hananiah replied to the prophet, sorry, then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah before the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, Amen, may the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. Nevertheless, listen to what I have said, I, I have to say in your hearing, and in the hearing of all of the people. From early times, the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war, disaster, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. But the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord, only if his prediction comes true. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. And he said before all the people, this is what the Lord says. In the same
break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. Shortly after the prophet Hanani had broke, broken the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place you will, have, you will get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will put an iron yoke on the necks of all of these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they will serve him. I will even give him control over the wild animals. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This, is very, this very year you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. In the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people. Nebuchadnezzar has carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisha, son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so, they, so that they have too many have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Mm. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found to you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from capti captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You may say, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. But this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in this city, your countrymen who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like poor figs that are so bad.
they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine and plague, and I will make them abhorrent to the kingdoms of the earth and an object of cursing and horror of scorn and reproach among the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord, words that I sent to them again and again by my servant, the prophets. And you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. Therefore, hear the words of the Lord, all of you exiles, whom I have sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says about Ahab, son of Koloiah, and Zedekiah, son of Masiah, who are prophesying lies to you in my name. I will hand them over to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will put them to death before your very eyes. Because of them, all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon will use this curse. The Lord treats you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned in fire. For they have done outrageous things in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbors, wives, and, with, and in my name have spoken lies, which I did not tell them to do. I know it, and it is a witness to it. I'm a witness to it, declares the Lord. Tell Shemaiah the Nehethalamite, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You sent letters in your own name to all the people in Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, son of Masiah, the priest, and to all other priests. You said to Zephaniah, the Lord has appointed you priest in place of Jehoiada to be in charge of the house of the Lord. You should put any madman who acts like a prophet into stocks and neck irons. So why have you not reprimanded Jeremiah from Anathoth, who poses as a prophet among you? He has sent this message to us in Babylon. It will be a long time. Therefore, build houses and settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Zephaniah the priest, however, read the letter to Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Send this message to all the exiles. This is what the Lord says about Shemaiah the Nephilimite. Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, even though I did not send him, he has led you to believe a lie. This is what the Lord says. I will surely punish Shemaiah the Nephilimite and his descendants. He will have no one left among this people, nor will he see the good things I will do for my people, declares the Lord, because he has preached rebellion against me. Wow. Well, I'm not, uh, not shy or embarrassed in any way to tell you that you have quite a feast before you tonight if you're a serious Bible student. Amen. We have the chance to study with Peyton Parsons today, yeah. and we have textual analysis for you. We have true and false prophets outlined for you. We have archaeological discoveries for you. We have linguistic insights for you. And we have Midrash that is unparalleled yeah. for you tonight. Amen. Are you ready for something that's good? Yes! Then Justin Linton, would you read verses 1 through 4 of in chapter 28? In the fifth month of, the, of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, sent to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiada, 
Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declaring the Lord, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Look, to uh, put this in its perspective, this is really not any different than all of the false prophets that up until the election of Biden prophesied a second term for Trump. And then after, during a recount, kept saying again and again and again that the Lord was going to overturn the election and that you would have Trump. This man is prophesying what he thinks the people want to hear. And we want to give you insight into that. There are many Hananiahs in the scripture. In fact, there's well over a dozen. And yet, this one stands out as a uniquely false prophet. We want to show you what McClintock and Strong's had to say about him. Or else I'll read. Oh, we got it. The history of Hananiah is of greatest interest as throwing much light upon the Jewish politics of that eventful time. Divided as parties were into the partisans of Babylon on one hand and Egypt on the other. It also exhibits the machinery of false prophecies by which the irreligious party sought to promote their own policy in a very distinct form. Look, I told you we had archaeology for you tonight. What we've just said becomes even more interesting when you consider a particular archaeological find. It's called the Babylonian Chronicle. It's a stella. It's got writing on it. This is what the Bible knowledge commentary of the Older Testament records for us because I can't translate the Babylonian that's here. The Babylonian Chronicle recorded that just over a year earlier, a rebellion had occurred in Babylon. Evidently, Nebuchadnezzar had to defend himself against an attempted coup. Certainly, such unrest within Babylon would cause the various vassal states to evaluate their chances of success for throwing off Babylon's yoke of domination. Put that into perspective with what Hananiah is saying. Hananiah claims to specifically be speaking for Yahweh Sabaoth. That is speaking for God Almighty. And he doubles down with the phrase, the God of Israel, just in case you weren't sure which he was speaking about. The reality is that he has not stood in the council of the Lord. And he is attempting to read the political tea leaves of the geopolitical environment of his day. He sees unrest happening and he prophesies what he wants to happen. Nebuchadnezzar is tied up in a battle back in Babylon. So we are clearly going to get everything back from the temple and we will get back our lost monarch. This kind of false prophecy, well, it's been prolific in our times, especially surrounding elections. At this moment, we want to stress to you the seriousness of speaking in the name of Yahweh. All right, so we're going to hand out a few passages. Who wants to read? Paul Rosales. You're going to get Leviticus 19, 12. Uh, Josiah, Spites, you get Deuteronomy 5, 11. Nick Rosales, you get Zechariah 5, 3 through 4. John Dang, you get Ezekiel 13, 3 through 7. Hayes, 
you get Psalm 101, verse 7. David Hall, you get Matthew 12, 36 through 37. And Revelation 21, 7 through 8 goes to Assad. And Bonhammer, you're going to get Colossians 2, 18 through 19. Rob, you get 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 7. So Leviticus 19, 12. And we're going to set a precedent here because this is not only about prophecy. This is a bigger issue in general. Leviticus 19, 12. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane, profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. False testimony about anything that you say that the Lord has or has not done is diminishing to the name of the Lord, and it is sin. We've taken this verse to mean that if you say, I swear in the name of the Lord, I swear, that's not all that it's talking about. It's giving testimony about anything that you're saying the Lord has or has not done, and it's not true. That is diminishing to the name of the Lord, and the Lord hates it when his name is taken in that kind of vanity. What's Deuteronomy 5.11? You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That means any person in this room that misuses the name of the Lord by attributing things to him that did not proceed from him, you will not be held guiltless. In that action. This should be very sobering for us. Yeah. Should be very sobering for the, the yeah. entirety of the charismatic community because yeah. this kind of thing happens every day. Yeah. When we prophesy, it is possible and it's forgivable that we make mistakes. But it is an entirely different thing to knowingly give false testimony and attribute it to the name of God or attribute it to something that God did, but he did not do. What about Zechariah 5, 3 through 4? And he said to me, this is the curse that is going out over the whole land. For according to what it says on one side, every thief will be banished, and according to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it out, and it will enter the house of the thief, and the house of anyone who swears falsely by my name. It will remain in that house and destroy it completely. Mm. It's a good thing this is written to Philistines, right? <laughs> nope. No. Zechariah is addressing the people of God. Look, we're going to keep moving here and you'll gather the point. But this is not written to men who would openly call themselves criminals. And yet the one who steals and the one who is giving false testimony are both under a curse from God that descends even upon the home and destroys it until there's nothing left, both stone and timber. Who has Ezekiel 13, 3 through 7? This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets, O Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the break in the wall to repair it for the house of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle of the, on the day of the Lord. Their visions are false. They say the Lord declares what the Lord has not 
Are y'all getting the seriousness of what's happening here? Yeah. Yeah. Prophecies must proceed from the Word and the Spirit of God. It's not enough for you to simply want to say something. It's not enough for you to make natural deductions and then attribute them to the name of God. This is something that the charismatic community, including us, need to get right and get it right immediately. This, this includes exaggerating a testimony. This includes anything supernatural that you say happened and did not happen. And we hear that sometimes even in this body. Psalm 101, verse 7. Look, our good Father is gracious and He is forgiving. He is that. But He will also absolutely remove you from His house if you intentionally speak falsely in His name. So, Pastor, the Lord has been doing great things. He's delivering me from gambling. And last week, you were buying lottery tickets. And the week before, you were buying lottery tickets. And there hasn't been a time of a week that you haven't bought those things. Listen, we should all seek. This is a lofty thing to speak in the name of the Lord, and we should seek to do so. But the standard must be very high to do these things. They have to be sure that this is the Lord speaking. Anybody for raising the standard? Yes. Yes. Wouldn't you like to know that if somebody says, the Lord says, that he really said it? Yes. Matthew 36 is going to help us continue to raise this standard in God's house tonight. But I tell you, the men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. It is one thing to speak a careless word. It's one thing to make a mistake. But it is quite another to knowingly mislead others because you are trying to be seen as spiritual, especially more spiritual than you actually are. Come on, everybody's felt that. Yeah. Hey, brother, how's it going? What's the Lord been doing in your life? Uh, 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 I'm good. <laughs> uh, fabrication. Right. We need to lift up this standard in God's house tonight. Amen. All right, who's got Revelation 21, 7 through 8? says, he who overcomes. <laughs> and we have the ability to do so in Christ. Amen. He gives us power over sin. I want you to notice the list that all liars appears in. With murderers, the vile, the unbelieving, the sexually immoral. Now rest assured there's a little more to it when you look at the actual Greek behind the English word liars. But you might find its implications are surprising. For your notes, it's Strong's number 5571, Sudes. This is where we get the English word pseudo. The idea behind it is that it is a man who intentionally falsifies, fabricates words supposedly from God for the purpose of appearing spiritual, as in false miracles or false testimonies of holiness. 
will not enter the kingdom of God and they're in the same category as a murderer. Let's take a look at Colossians 2, 18 through 19 together. Look, we're talking about Hananiah tonight. But we would not be good ministers of the gospel if you did not feel personally the seriousness of this warning. The unspiritual one is the one that goes into great detail about what he's seen. But it's not present in his actions and it didn't really come from the Lord. It's his own unspiritual mind that is causing him to project those things. Look, when you've had an ecstatic religious experience, can I tell you, you know it? Yeah. yeah. It, doesn't have, it doesn't need you to go, well, maybe that dream was kind of, sort of from, I think, it, I think it probably was. I can assure you it wasn't, if that's your attitude. If that is, is where you're at, then I assure you that it didn't. God, when he speaks to a man, leaves the man with the impression that God has spoken to him. Yeah. It's important that we get this right because Hananiah's life doesn't end very well. 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 7. The goal of this command is love. The goal of this command is what? Love. That is the goal of all of these things that we're sharing. Keep going. Which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. See, that's what we're aiming at. And that is what is rising in this body is a sincere faith. One that says, look, I'm not sure that the Lord has spoken, but this did happen. What do you guys think? Keep going. Some have wandered away from me and turned to meaningless talk. Uh-oh. <laughs> they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently heard. Man, a dangerous position indeed. Look, we love this body, and we believe that almost everything that is spoken here and in our homes and at work and while we're driving in the car, is the fruit of the Spirit. But there has been a laxity in some cases, and even deliberate transgression regarding the seriousness of this topic. But thankfully, we are going to get a cure for that tonight. Come on. Do you want to see the cure? Yes. Following the life and outcome of Hananiah is going to cure the laxity and reprove any transgression in this matter. Look, sometimes the best medicine is the one that is the hardest to swallow. Thankfully, Hananiah swallowed that medicine already, and we can see what that produced in his life, and we can follow it. So, Linton, pick up in verse 5 and go down to 8. Then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah before the priest and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. Nevertheless, listen to what I have to say in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. From early times, the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war, disaster, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. 
sarcasm in what Jeremiah said. You're just not looking at this. <laughs> Jeremiah knows that the articles will eventually come back. He said so in Jeremiah 27, verse 22. Yeah. But right here, he's being somewhat sarcastic because he knows that Hananiah is only postulating from his posterior region, right? <laughs> Orthodoxy is more than being in agreement with others. Anybody can agree to something. There are cities built on an agreement of a hatred of something. Yeah. This is not what real orthodoxy is. Orthodoxy is being in agreement with the proven, the valid, the truthful fruit that was derived from obedience to the word. Amen. Something that was carried out and that was proven as true. Consider what Jeremiah is alluding to. We're going to put up a very common chart that you should recognize by now. Here's a chart of prophets before and after and during Jeremiah. Look at Isaiah for a moment. Isaiah prophesied deliverance for Jerusalem. He actually prophesied peace. And it happened. But he also prophesied captivity for the northern tribes under Assyria. He prophesied war. And guess what? That also happened. The fruit of what he said, it came to fruition and everybody could see it when it happened. It proved what Isaiah was saying was from God and was in the orthodoxy that was being passed down from generation to generation. Last week we covered Micah. Uriah, and Jeremiah's prophecies of the sieges of Jerusalem. And guess what? They're happening right here. We also covered Huldah, and she prophesied peace in the lifetime of a king and destruction afterward. And guess what? Both of those things came to pass. Hananiah's word, on the other hand, it's going to be shown for what it actually is. You remember what it is. But people always <laughs> prefer the prophet who foretells peace. And that's the motivation that Hananiah has in this chapter. We want to direct you to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. And this really brings it to a point, and this is exactly what we are trying to show you from these verses. It says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. It didn't come from man. It didn't come from the prophets in particular. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Would you notice if somebody's carrying you? Yes. Yeah. yes. Well, then you ought to notice when the Spirit of God is speaking to you. Yeah. If somebody is carrying you, you're not like, um, that... I don't know whether I'm walking or I'm being carried. It, it is discernible. You know. And if there's significant doubt, then it's not from faith. Don't do it. <laughs> That's a good word. We're going to move on and we're going to get verses 10 through 11. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. And he said before all the people, this is what the Lord said. In the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. Man, I I love Jeremiah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. 
It's kind of the definition of a secure zone. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there are many men in this room that I think if you interact with this verse just a little bit, you might admire Jeremiah's lack of need to respond in an impulsive, frustrated, or offended manner. Yeah. Mm. I was personally convicted by it. Yeah. Yeah. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. Jeremiah felt no need to respond beyond what the Lord had showed him. You're going to notice in the next verses that that is only that he will respond only when the Lord tells him to speak. And he's going to speak exactly what the Lord told him to say. It's worth noting that James, an apostle, encourages this kind of behavior. Perhaps James, growing up with Jesus, remembers saying at least a couple things between brothers that should not have been said. <laughs> Two of my brothers are on the front row at this moment. And I'm staring at them, and I'm about to read to you James 1, verse 26. Come on, think about that for just a minute. <laughs> you think you're better than us, Jesus. Well... <laughs> You act like you never do anything wrong, Jesus. I mean, there were brothers in the house. Well, mom likes you better, Jesus. <laughs> See, James, James could remember what it was growing up and having said things that ought not be said and were not carried along by the Spirit. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Saints, we are a church that absolutely emphasizes, and rightly so, action above words. And our words, as ambassadors of the living God, they yeah. wait. We would do well to consider what we say, even if we didn't preface it with, thus says the Lord, because your life at work, at home, and in this body, should be representing what the Lord wants. Yeah. Let's go ahead and pick up in 12 and 13, Brother Linton. Shortly after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place you will get a yoke of iron. Now, if you engage with this for just a minute, remember that Jeremiah restrained himself and he didn't say anything. Walked away. He walked away. Just like your mama told you in elementary school. The bigger man just walks away. But then the Lord speaks to it. It's not hard to imagine that the word that God gives Jeremiah would produce a, a satisfying feeling in Jeremiah. I mean, at least that's how it struck me. Maybe it says more about me than you. I don't know. But the thing is, is the word was not driven from that source. The word came from the Lord. You know what that tells me? If it's a word from God, sometimes the only way that you will know the difference between what's driven from your need to say something satisfying and it coming from God is to wait a bit. Come on. Either God said it to you or your own emotions are driving you to say it and you need to know the difference. A lot is at stake. Let's pick up in verse 14. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will put an iron yoke on the necks of all these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. 
and they will serve him. I will even give him control over the wild animals. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. Mm, You have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. Verse 17. In the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died. Now, there are some rather interesting observations in Jeremiah's statements to Hananiah in the original language. We have a slide for you. And in Hebrew, there's uh, some wordplay here. Jeremiah is telling Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. And in Hebrew, that is lo shalacha. Y'all want to say that with me? Lo shalacha. You actually did it. Lo shalacha. Then he says, the Lord says, I'm about to remove you. Now, in English, that doesn't really roll like it does in Hebrew. So again, the Lord says to him, or uh, Jeremiah says, lo shalacha. And then when he says, I'm about to remove you, that is me shalecha. Do you, see, do you hear that, that uh, similarity between those two words? Yes. Now, the effect of the wordplay in Hebrew is humorous because the meaning if we were to translate this literally in English, it would say something like this. You say that you were sent. You are sent off the face of the earth. Like, wow. You're claiming you're sent and God's agreeing. Yes, you are sent. You're sent off the face of the earth. And the word for earth there is Adam. So it's both off the earth or you would have to question out of mankind. <laughs> now, the point of this is to be. Very careful what we claim that we are, because God might say, you're right, you are this. Now, the other astounding thing is that the text records in verse 1 the original timing of the prophecy made by Hananiah in the fifth month, and he foretold deliverance in two years. He said that deliverance would come in two years. What month did he say it in? But he was removed from the face of the earth in the seventh month. He had a false prophecy that was about two years, and God killed him in only two months. He didn't even get to see whether his prophecy was right or wrong. God reduced it to two months and said, you are done. You say you're sent? Yeah, I'm going to send you somewhere, buddy, off the face of the earth. Do you find it interesting that with the same kind of measure that he spoke... It was measured back unto him. Yes. And the Holy Spirit saw fit to record the exact month and time of the prophecy so that you could catch the correlation. Suffice it to say, God takes it pretty seriously speaking in his name, right? Yes. Yes. Why don't we pick up in chapter 29? Now, are y'all proud of us? We covered an entire chapter in 48 minutes wow. with a review. Amen. And reading the two chapters. Come on. This is the text of the letter. Prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried off into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Listen, I think just read that verse for us one more time. Everybody, cue your ear into this. This is good. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets. 
all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. So in 29, we have the beginning of a dissertation, a letter that Jeremiah wrote and that he sent to the exiles that were currently in Babylon at that time. So what we're essentially saying here is that within the corpus, within the body of work of Jeremiah, which is in the Nevi'im, in chapter 29, we find a writing. We find Ketuvim in chapter 29. So you can be in the Nevi'im, and this whole chapter is a, a writing, something that was a scroll, a letter written by Jeremiah to the exiles. Said in another way, the prophet Jeremiah wrote a book of prophecy, but he included his own epistle in it. Come on now. If you think about this, students of the book of Revelation may recognize the particular format of this chapter. The book of Revelation is in the Nevi'im, and we all know that it's a book of prophecy, right? Yes. Yes. Of course it is. But within the book of Revelation, think about it for a moment. You have these seven churches. You have these letters written to the seven churches within the book of Revelation. You have epistles that are written and sent out to seven different churches. They were dictated by John, by Jesus to John, to John, to the churches, so that they would know how to live faithfully within their historical context. Listen to these similarities between what we're reading in chapter 29 and Jeremiah's epistle and between Revelation. Real quick so that you don't miss this. The Nevi'im are to warn the soul. Yeah. That's the job of a prophet. Yeah. And books that are categorized within the Nevi'im are because they warn the soul. But every once in a while, because the Ketuvim, the writings, are meant to show you how to live faithfully within your historical context, even within the prophetic work of Jeremiah or Revelation, there is a special epistle to tell people within their day how to live faithfully in their historical setting. You're getting it? Yeah. Okay. There's similarities because guess what? We're in the times of Jeremiah and we're approaching the times of Revelation. There should be similarities that we can see between these two works, right? Yes. So, Jeremiah, in chapter 29, he's going to tell the people how to live faithfully within the context of a historical captivity. You can definitely see that in the book of Revelation, right? Yes. Jeremiah, he's writing to the elders in chapter 29 in this letter. He's also writing directly to those who are in exile. He's also writing to the priesthood of his day. And this one, this one's amazing. He's also writing to the prophets. Come on. If you think about the moment of chapter 29 and what has already happened, the first and second exile, who is already in Babylon if there's been a first and second exile? It's Ezekiel and Daniel. They're already in Babylon so Jeremiah writes a letter, and who gets it in Babylonian captivity? Ezekiel and Daniel get the letter from Jeremiah. Why do you think Daniel got the revelation of 70 years? Why do you think these men were strong enough to stand 
in captivity for the standard of God. Why do you think they knew what to tell the people, how to prophesy? They knew the orthodoxy throughout history because they received a letter from Jeremiah that helped to guide and to direct them. They were greatly benefited by this epistle from Jeremiah. Brother Lenton, will you get verse 2 for me? Hey, are you all learning? Yes. This was after King Jehoiachin and the Queen Mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. All right. So verse 2, it's an editorial comment. Perhaps by Baruch the scribe, it's inserted so that we would understand the timing, reading it after the fact. They wanted to make sure that we understood the ramifications, and specifically so that we would know the Jehoiachin and Nehushta, the oh. queen mother, oh. that cursed queen, are already in exile as well. Now, some of this is blatantly obvious with just a little reading, and we've taught on it before. I'm mostly bringing it up because I want to point out that the evil queen mother that the son could never separate herself from, she finally made it into exile in the scribe. wanted you to know, she made it into exile. It's also worth mentioning that there is never a queen mother in the scripture that is viewed favorably. Wow. Not, not one time, not ever. Gentlemen, you may smoke. Gentlemen, you may smoke. Brother, let's get verse 3 for me. He entrusted the letter to Elisab, son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Man, how important do you think the task of carrying the epistle that God dictated to Jeremiah for God's chosen people while they're standing in hostile territory exile would be? Especially one that is going to reach Ezekiel and Daniel and instruct them how they should live. Yeah. How important do you think that message is? Man, women, you have an important message. Who is it that you want to send ensure that it's done? Come on. Definitely somebody who doesn't garage diminish it, yeah. or simply fabricate a message that they like. Yeah. Or somebody from the post office. It's almost as if Revelation ends by saying, do not add or take away from this message. I'm going to read to you out of 2 Chronicles 34, 14 through 18, and my brothers will pick up from there, but you should be familiar with this. When they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and the workers. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king of what he's been waiting to tell him this whole time. It's a little insert. Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. How many of you remember that Jesus said, if you can't be trusted with earthly things, how will you be trusted with heavenly things? Yeah. The passage that we just read about, they handled the kingdom's money rightly. And the same men that handled the kingdom's money rightly discovered the book of the law. Wow. And they handled that rightly as well. Hilkiah the priest is the man that found the book of the law. 
In all likelihood, it's Deuteronomy. And that is the very book that Jeremiah quotes from more than any other prophet. Now, Hekiah didn't keep it to himself. What he found, he gave to Shaphan. Shaphan publicized the book of Deuteronomy, and he reads it to the highest official in the land. But Shaphan didn't keep it to himself. The two-man team that Jeremiah entrusted his own epistle to are the sons of Hilkiah and Shaphan. Elisa and Jamariah are the respective sons of Hilkiah and Shaphan. The following record of events should leave a mark on you. One man finds the law. He gives it to another with the job of publicizing it. The prophet is instructed by it and then writes more of the word of God and entrusts that to the next generation of sons. By the way, Elisa and Jumara, they brought it to Ezekiel and Daniel, who were the next generation of prophets who repeated the process by writing more of the word of God. How important is it to be involved in the transmission of the gospel through the ages? We must be trustworthy. We must be trustworthy. And that doesn't just mean that you don't steal money. It means that you speak what he gives you to say. You do not speak things he didn't give you to say. And you never confuse those two things. Do you want to be an ambassador of the gospel? Yes. Yes. Start by getting the details concerning the Lord correct. No more tribal knowledge. No more exaggerations. No more painting ourselves better than we actually are. Get it correct. And to he who has been given much, much is required, but also more will be given if you handle it well. Hey, this reminded me of 1 Corinthians 4. Can we read that to you? Is that okay? Yeah. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Elisa and Jimaria, they'll surely be recorded very much like the apostles that were sent with the word that raised up prophets to address the evils of their time. Perhaps some in this room will be recorded in the heavenly books with the very same kind of notation. But it all starts with being faithful with what you've been entrusted with. And that's what we're exhorting you towards. Would you like to hear the epistle of Jeremiah recorded within the book of Jeremiah? All right, let's pick up with the words, it said, and then move into verse 4. It said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, said. To all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in in marriage. Did you hear that we're supposed to find wives for our sons? (laughs) I just, I I mostly just wanted to point that out. (laughs) I don't know what you're supposed to do with that information, but I know what I plan to do with it. (laughs) So that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. 
do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. All right, there is so much that could be said about the epistle of Jeremiah. It forms the basis for Jewish daily life while in diaspora. I want to connect some things about the sovereignty of God here. This is the first time that Israel as a nation is going into into exile. And what Jeremiah is saying is not what all the other false prophets are saying. He is hearing from God to share this with the generation going in exile. And you know what this becomes? This becomes the basis of all Jewish life in diaspora for the last 3,000 years. The Jews have looked at this verse in every country that they have been exiled to, and they have said, this is what we need to do, and they have done it. Every place where the Jews have been exiled, they have become a blessing to the place where they have been exiled, not the other way around because of Jeremiah's words. Now, it is among the most important instructions also for the survival of the chosen people of God that they do these things. But we want you to know tonight is that Ezra understood this when he was dealing with King Cyrus of Persia. Would you like to see that? Yes. Yes. Look how this plays out. This is Ezra chapter 6 and verse 10. So that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. Cyrus here is asking Ezra to pray for him. That's amazing, right? A Gentile pagan king asking Ezra to pray for him. And you know what Ezra did? He prayed for him. He understood this is what he must do because of the epistle of Jeremiah, teaching him how to live faithfully within his context. Now look at other men of God who have seen what Jeremiah's epistle meant. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. It says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. Even if they're Democrats. Yes. That, That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Admittedly, in the past, when I've come to passages Just like this one, I've been a little bit confused. Like, where in the world did this come from? This literally feels to me like it came out of left field somewhere. It's coming at me, and I don't know what to do with it exactly. I'm kind of convicted by it. If we look back to Jeremiah 29, it becomes crystal clear. It was a command by God through his prophets. This is the way that you guys are supposed to live when you're in exile. Paul himself, writing to Timothy, understood this because of the prophet Jeremiah and because of Jeremiah's epistle in chapter 29. But it gets even better than that. Come on. You want to see it better? Yes. Yes. 
Now, I know you thought we were just joking, and you good Texans uh, assuaged your guilt by saying, uh, well, of course I'm not praying for my political adversaries who are pro-abortion, who take are anti-Israel. Why don't you listen to Matthew 5, 43? You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who per persecute you. Is Jesus the Son of God? Yes. yes. Is he the Messiah? Yes. And when we think of the Son of God and the Messiah, because we are New Testament-centric as a people, we often think of him originating everything that he said. But if the disciple, if the apostle, if the elder John was to be believed in the opening of his gospel, he is the embodiment of the law, the prophets, and the writings all in one. Jesus is actually quoting and building upon the consistent words of the prophets and the epistle of Jeremiah. What do you think the people of Israel, how they would have viewed the Babylonian Empire? Do you think they viewed them as their best friends? No. Or as their national enemies? Yes. And yet, Jeremiah told them to pray for the city that they've been brought to, and Jesus says, Goodness. pray for your enemies and those that hate you. How would any of this ever happen if Hilkiah and Shaphan had not raised up Elisa and Gamariah to faithfully deliver the epistle of Jeremiah that instructed the prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Daniel on how to live faithfully? Now quickly, I'm going to throw in just a ploy because I think it's neat. <laughs> Daniel has some of the most prolific theological prophecies that exist in the Word. Yeah. Men first and foremost, choose to turn to passages like Exodus and Daniel 10, 11, 12, and chapter 9 to interpret the end times. Now, you can question the validity of that, but that is a historical record. Yeah. Any Acts 1 students in the room want to tell me how Daniel is classified? Right. Daniel is a writings that has some of the most descriptive prophecies about the return of God that exist in the Word. Yeah. Why? Because he was instructed by the epistle of Jeremiah. Come on. And he knew what he should do to live faithfully in his context. Can I ask you a question? Because yeah. I know you're, you're experts on the Tanakh. <laughs> Can you point to other verses in the Tanakh that come immediately to mind that tell you to pray for your enemies? See, Jeremiah truly gets a revelation here. And we know that the revelation is true because it's borne out in orthodoxy over time. And Jesus quotes Jeremiah when he says it. And Paul quotes Jeremiah and Jesus when he says it. Okay, This was kind of a revolutionary concept that you are supposed to pray for somebody who has enslaved you as a nation and is seemingly the enemy of God. Because God can use even an enemy on a leash to advance his purpose. Yeah. Now, have you noticed that we keep saying the epistle of Jeremiah? Yeah. Well, there's a reason. We're not just trying to be cute. Can we introduce you to uh, an another epistle that was faithfully transmitted under similar circumstances? Yeah, that be okay with y'all? Yes. Do you like to put together things in the Word? Yeah. Yes. Good. You're learning Midrash. First Peter... 1, 1 through 2. To God's elect, Israel, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, 
Asia and Bithynia. Do you think that the similarity between Peter's introduction in his epistle and Jeremiah are accidentally similar? Listen to Jeremiah's first verse again, the words from it. Jeremiah said to the surviving elders and the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile from Jerusalem to, to Babylon. You know where this gets really interesting? We want to teach you the whole epistle to Peter, but we couldn't. So we made a chart of the section headings in Peter's epistle, and there are some astounding conclusions from it. I want you to look at these while you're contemplating the content of Jeremiah's epistle. Is that all right? Yes. Here are the section headings. Praise to God for a living hope. As Israel is going into Babylon, are they done as a nation or do they still have a living hope? Be holy. Does God want Israel to be holy within Babylon? Yes. yes. The living stone and chosen people, even after the temple is torn down, is God able to build it again with the living stones of his people? Yes. Oh, this one is really hard to relate. Living godly lives in a pagan society. That's got nothing to do with the context of Jeremiah's epistle, does it? Here's one that's also equally hard to connect. Suffering for doing good. Living for God. Suffering for being a Christian. Last two subject headings. To the elders... And the flock. Final greetings. Look, Peter's epistle ends in chapter 5. And among the last things that Peter exhorts us in are the following words, which Justin's going to take you through. And you're going to want to sharpen up for this. All right, so this is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world, throughout the exile, those that are scattered, are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. Now, we as charismatics, we have always viewed these statements with Satan in mind. Oh, Satan's like a roaring lion. And that is true, but it might be a more enlightened view to see the lion as an oppressive Gentile kingdom that God is using to purify his people, and that is firmly on God's leash. Now remember, the resistance that Paul is talking about, it's not militarily it is rather an adherence to the word of God. Exactly like what Jeremiah is saying. Yeah. Now with that in mind, the format of Peter's epistle is very similar to the epistle of Jeremiah. Also, Babylon is most known in the world for this imagery. We have a slide. This is called 
the striding or the prowling lion. This is a relief that they took, they discovered in Babylon, and then they put it in some crazy place like Toronto. And it dates to the time of Nebuchadnezzar II, the exact guy we're talking about. The point is even clearer. When you imagine the prowling lion image of Babylon and the ultimate defeat of mystery Babylon by the lion of Judah. Now it is also worth noting that when God's people failed to observe his word in the Assyrian captivity, 2 Kings chapter 17, it records prowling lions among them. So what Peter is telling them to resist is the oppression of the kingdoms that they're dispersed into. Tell me that's not a timely word for this body here right now. Oh man, work is tough. Resist by the word of God. Stand firm where you're planted and God will make this possible for you. Now, I know because I've been pastoring a long time. Some of you got what we said. Some of you will grossly mischaracterize what we said. So let me help you. Peter is talking about Satan. But Satan uses the political kingdoms of the world to try to resist the kingdom of God. And what Jeremiah and Peter are both saying is, when you obey the word of God within your historical context, it is resisting Satan. And it just so happens that the biggest Gentile oppressors of Israel ever all were characterized by roaring lions. And the book of Revelation has a dragon crowned with Gentile kingdoms, seven of them, and he is defeated by the actual lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah. Now, what we just gave you is priceless. Yeah. But we're going to help you yet further. Yeah, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13 is really a scripture that brings everything home. If you didn't see the connections between the introduction of Peter, if you didn't see the connections through the chapter headings of the epistle of 1 Peter, if you didn't see the connection to the Nebuchadnezzar lion on the screen, read verse 13 with me of chapter 5. She who is in Babylon, <laughs> she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Since Peter began his epistle, addressing the chosen or elect outside of his geographical region, but still under the power of Gentile oppressors, perhaps when he says, she who is in Babylon, it's a reference to the chosen or the elect within his own geographical region. The point would be that we are all enduring the same kind of trials. We're all within regions that are, that are oppressed by powers that are prowling around like roaring lions. And Peter's words, they apply to his day, but they absolutely apply to our day as Amen. well and the days to come. Yeah. Let me help you with that just a little further. Is that all right, or yeah. do you have it down? No, no. It's confused Bible commentators for centuries. Babylon is not a power during Peter's day. So they then start moving, trying to name the city that must be the mystery of Babylon. 
And I'm not saying that there's not a city that is Mystery Babylon. Personally, I'd put my money on Saudi Arabia. But aside from that, that's not his point. His point is, you were in exile there. We are in exile here. We're sharing the same fate under Gentile oppressors, and we must do what we did in Babylon. We must live and increase and build houses and settle down, and God will restore us yes. in his time. Well, I thought it was good. Yeah. That was yeah. good. <laughs> Let's continue on in verse 8. You're just going to grab that one for us. Yes. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. I am not going to talk about the counsel that you seek out and then receive what you are looking for. I'm simply going to give you a scripture that should enlighten us about the general populace, the outcome of nations, might give you insight into the future of nations. It comes from Paul's writings to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. It's almost as if he's instructing him as to whether or not he's in Babylon, whether he's back home in Jerusalem, doesn't matter what kind of season he is in, he is to be prepared. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say with their itching ears, Want to hear. Someone say, want to hear. Want to hear. I'm sorry, that's not what I was looking for, okay? I want to hear something. They're asking for preaching and teaching that is what they want to hear. And it's being raised up for them as a result of it. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. Hebrew thought is always associated with actual, physical, tangible imagery. When we say this, it's not hard for us to understand they didn't turn their ear away. They're talking about their ability to actually hear God's revelation, to be in the council that Jeremiah is in. They're turning away from it to myths. But you, Timothy, but you, LCM, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Mm. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Saints, the prominence of false teachers and lying prophet, prophets in every age is a reflection of what the populace wants. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, I, I, I just, I feel like we need to drive this home. Who is encouraging the false prophets and the diviners? The people are. It's what the people want. So let's get this straight. In an age where, I don't know, we just heard for 18 months the science, the science, the science, and now you found out that was all a load of fertilizer? First, there was nothing in the universe. And then from nothing came a big bang which produced everything. Why do we have these kind of lies that are prolific in our society? Because it's what people want. That's why we have them. 
We have them because people want to avoid the judgment of God. Why do we have lies of evolution? Because it is what people want. They want to avoid the judgment of God. Why do we have more candied, appled, powder puff, pillow prophets getting rich in this country, flying around in jets, and pimping the word of God? Because it's what the people want. See, we can look and see the the prevalence of false prophets in our time is because it is what people want. So how important is it that we are true to what God has said, true to what God has done? Anytime we deviate, do you know why we deviate? Because it's what we want. You need to want the truth of God's word, no matter what it means about your personal situation, no matter what it means about you as a father, what it means about you as a husband, what it means about your behavior at work, you need to want the truth. You need to thank the people that give it to you. And you need to be a purveyor of the truth. Otherwise, if what you really want is a delusion, you can have it. It will come. And you won't know whether it comes from God or the enemy because God allows the enemy to give it to you. If what you want is righteousness, you can have it. If what you want is manna, it's raining down every day. But if you crave quail, he'll give it to you till it comes out of your nose. That is happening to us on a societal level that is unimaginable. And we need to not mistake this. Joel Osteen does not exist because he's just an evil man. He exists because he's a reflection of what the people want. Our present government in this country and in the previous administration and the one before that, it is a reflection of what they want, what the people want. We need to learn to want what God wants. We also need to quit lifting up people as God's answer that are clearly immoral and always have been. I've never been more embarrassed of the Christian community than their endorsement of people that have been married five times and their wives pose in Playboy magazine. This is a shame. It's a total lack of discernment. And we better wake up because you'll get more of what you want. If what we want is truth, we can have truth. Come on. Yeah. If what you want is a lie, you'll get so much of it that you don't even recognize that's what you're getting. Let's pick up in verse 9. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. His what kind of promise? Gracious. I find it peculiar that there are no theologians that I'm aware of that doubt that the Babylonian captivity was 70 years. It's printed right here. It's verified in Stella's. It's verified in history books. It's easy. But those same theologians doubt, verse 10, when the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. 
just as certain as God's judgment mm -hmm. is, his promise to restore the nation of Israel is every bit as certain. Yeah. And unfortunately, a vast majority of our denominations and our theologians do not view the blessings to Israel as certain. They only view the judgments to Israel as certain. That's a big problem. Yeah. Jeremiah wrote this for us because he heard it in God's presence. And as we move through this epistle, you're going to find out he's talking about a lot more than just the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And the text keys us into that. Let's pick up in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Mm. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now forget the fact that this is the most misinterpreted passage of all the Bible. When your grandma was wrong. When it's used to say that God has plans for us Gentiles individually, even though we're steeped in sin. I want you to focus on the fact that God said over and over, you will call upon me and I will listen to you. This is an affirmative statement that Israel will find the Lord. And I assure you, you won't find any other kind of statement in Scripture. It's always, you will find me. When God's speaking about his nation, it is always something that God is saying, you will because I will do this. But you know, this is also a warning to all who read Jeremiah. If you want to know how Gentiles are included in this verse, here's your part. If you are seeking him, and can't seem to find him, it is because you are not yet seeking him with your whole heart. It is a complete lie that you can stand up and say, oh, I'm seeking God, he's just not answering me. Right. That is not true at all. If you are not finding God, then you are not seeking with your whole heart. I'm going to give you a key to this. If you're seeking God and you're not finding Him, the very next step for you to do, almost like a drop-down menu list, is to go, Lord, search me. Search my heart. Know me and see if there's any detestable way. Because I promise you, He will reveal it. And as you deal with it, He will show Himself to you. Draw near to God. And He will draw near to you. It is a promise if you do it with your whole heart. Let's pick up in verse 14. By the way, that's also how Jesus can say that he who seeks truth yes. finds it. Yes. Yeah. He's also quoting Jeremiah. That's right. He goes on to say, knock and the door will be open to you. Yep. Yeah, that, that means keep knocking until the door opens. Keep knocking until you get a response and a transformation that you are looking for. Keep going and... Show some persistence for something that means Come on. everything to you. Yes. Apply your heart to this, and the Lord promises that He will answer. He promises that He will deliver. He promises that He will transform. Bring he your heart, not you. your garments. Nick, you've got some good things to get to, but I, I just—I was daydreaming for a minute <laughs> <laughs> that some of you were in a building that was on fire, and you knew that your perishing was imminent 
And so you knocked on the door and said, I'm sorry, it won't open. No. <laughs> I don't know, something's wrong with the door, nobody's opening it. I bet, I bet, if you understood the judgment of God, you would do nothing but try to beat that door down yeah. until you got out of the burning building. Yeah. I'm seeking God, I just don't know, I, I just don't know. Something's wrong with your heart, nothing's wrong with God. Cultivate the soil. It's been, it's been man's job since the first man that was put in a garden. Cultivate your heart. Nothing is wrong with the Lord. Something is wrong with your heart. Many times you're seeking him about the wrong thing. Lord, I just want you to speak to me about that boat that I want, that job that I want, that girl that I want. You can't make him talk to you about what you want. Talk to him about what he wants for you. Yeah. Verse 14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from the captivity. I will gather you to all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So contextually speaking, for verse 14, we had in 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When that happens, verse 14 is God's gracious response. Come on. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from the captivity that I put you in. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Did you guys notice in the middle of this, he says, I'll gather you from all the nations yeah. and places where I banished you. Well, that's kind of curious, isn't it? Yeah. Since they're sitting in Babylon, since that's the place where they're going to be. Wow. Maybe we have the Lord pointing to a second kind of exodus where it's not just his people sitting in Babylon. It's his people sitting in many different nations around the world, wow. learning how to do what Jeremiah and Peter and Jesus and all these men told them to do and how to live during exile. It's good. On another evening, perhaps we could dive into this second exodus. Yes. But for this evening, we wanted to read Isaiah 11, 11 through 12 for you. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time. Wow. Come on. To reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from, check out these nations, Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. Goodness gracious. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. Amen. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah Come on. from the four quarters of the earth. Yeah. You see, what Jeremiah was laying a foundation for, it didn't just apply to, oh yeah, 70 years from captivity, you guys are going to come back from this one nation and it's going to be good. And <laughs> I will reestablish you in the land. What he's pointing to is a great and a glorious exodus. A great and glorious exodus that is so great and glorious that nothing before it even compares to the glory that will be Come revealed on. when Messiah comes back and gathers his nation. By the way, 
We're not going to teach on the second exodus tonight. <laughs> but since Jerusalem was not presently being called the throne of the Lord, since people still do remember the Ark of the Covenant, since not every single Jew living on the planet today knows him and has a purified heart, I'm going to tell you that the repatriation of Israel in 1948 doesn't fulfill the requirements. No. At best, it's a really good start that sets the stage. Yeah. Also, the Egyptian Sea has not been split a second time apart. Also, the Euphrates River has not been broken up into sevens that a man walks across in his sandals. But those are the topics of another evening. Now we're going to pick up in verse 15. As we pick up in 15, tune your ears in. You're going to hear components from weeks and weeks of teaching that are speaking a message about what must be done prior to the return of the Lord, prior to the second exodus. Go ahead and pick up, brother. You may say the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. But this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in this city, your, your countrymen, who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send a sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like poor figs mm. that are so bad they cannot be eaten. Mm. I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and plague and will make them have corn to all the kingdoms of the earth, and an object of cursing and horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive. Just in case you missed it, he's not talking about all Israel, he's talking about a refining within Israel. Topics like sword, famine, and plague, and repeating patterns are coming back, and we've now once again referenced two baskets of figs. Poor figs, and those that were taken where the Lord was going to preserve them. Now again, this evening, we're not going to reteach the entire fig concept, but we did for about two hours in chapter 24. So please, feel free to review that, but we're laying down groundwork so that you can see the imagery that Jeremiah, as a spirit-inspired artist, is laying out. This is the refining of Israel. Time is short this evening, so I want to read to you just two passages to point to this concept. Amos 9, 9 through 10. For I will give the command and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations. As grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not overtake us. Now Paul, a first century rabbi, commenting on these verses in Romans 11, 26 says, And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. After the purification, all Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come to Zion, and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. He is saying in advance that there is a day when all sin, all godlessness will have been removed and turned away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Either Paul is a misguided maniac or he's a first century rabbi who understood the prophets who had gone before him. Yeah. You have to pick one. You don't get to choose both. So, wrapping up that subject, how do you reach a place where every member of a nation is saved. 
Well, it's helpful if they see the one they pierce, look upon him and mourn, and God opens a fountain, as Zachariah says. Yeah. It's further helpful if there have been years of removing everyone who will not believe in advance. Wow, the sovereignty and majesty of our God is incredible. Yes. Now, that is about Israel. I want you to know that the same is true about the body of believers. <laughs> he will remove you if you will not believe as well. Uh, Romans 11 is dedicated to that entire topic. But let's pick up in verse 19, because we have 23 minutes and we're going to make them count. Is that okay? Yes. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord. Words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets. And you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. So to, to comment on that, the people that are going to be removed did not listen to the Lord. But even the ones that are not going to be removed and purified failed to listen to all of the prophets that would have averted this judgment. Nobody's innocent. Some just repented and began to obey God's word. Yeah. Keep going. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom I have sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says about Ahab, son of Kolahiah, and Zedekiah, son of Masiah, for prophesying lies to I will hand them over to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will put them to death before your very eyes. Because of them, all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon will use this curse. The Lord treats you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned in the fire. There's another interesting play on words here. Ahab, son of Coliah, it's a, it's a word game. And it is because Coliah as a noun, it means curse. And as a verb... The same word means to burn or roast in fire. <laughs> so this is intended to make a dramatic point about how the Lord will treat false prophets. But it's also kind of interesting to note that Nebuchadnezzar seemed to have a real thing for roasting people in fire. <laughs> if you're curious about that, read Daniel 3. The difference between God and Nebuchadnezzar is God will only roast a false prophet in the fire. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar will roast any prophet in the fire. If he can. Praise God, he's not able. What's verse 23? For they have done outrageous things in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and in my name have spoken lies, mm. which I did not tell them to do. I know it, and am a witness to it, declares the Lord. Wow. Tell Shemaiah, the Nehelamite. Man, the Lord says, I know it, and I am a witness to it. It's a serious thing when Lord is, the Lord is standing in his own court saying, I'm the witness. But then he says, tell Shemaiah, the Nehelamite. Nehelamite sounds like a geographical place in English, hence it. But it also means the dreamer. This is a man who is a dreamer. He's relying on just dreams and things that he has thought instead of God's actual words. Listen to what God says to him in verse 25. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You sent letters in your own name to all the people in Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, the of Messiah, the priest, and to all the other priests. You said to Zephaniah, the Lord has appointed you priests in the place of Jehoiada to be in charge of the house of the Lord. That's insane. You should put any madman who acts like a prophet into the stocks and neck iron. So why have you not reprimanded Jeremiah from Anathoth? Moses as a prophet among you. He has sent this message to us in 
Babylon. It will be a long time. Therefore, build houses and settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. All right. Hananiah was a false prophet that we read about earlier that prophesied peace and safety. Zedekiah and Ahab, they prophesied lies and misdirection, just things out of their own minds. Now Shemaiah is preaching directly against Jeremiah, and he's trying to get him arrested or killed. These three things, these three kind of attacks, repeatedly come against any body of believers, any righteous family, and any true ministry. And they are all considered rebellion against the Lord. Wow. Now, in these counseling sessions that happen with pastors, they bring it up. This is rebellion. You know why? Because God says it's rebellion. When God's standard, a body, a pillar of truth, is there representing him, and these three kinds of attacks... Peace and safety, what they're saying is not true. Lies and misdirection or preaching against. God considers it rebellion against himself because that body represents the Lord on the earth. It doesn't matter how often you see it in the word. It still takes a while to sink in. What are you doing, you trouble over Israel? I hadn't troubled Israel. You have. And I wouldn't even speak to you if Jehoshaphat wasn't standing here. You'll recognize that? Yeah. Here... Notice that Shemaliah, he, he's calling Jeremiah a madman. You know who's a madman? The one that will not obey the word of God. Yeah. He says Jeremiah poses as a prophet. But who is really posing as a prophet? Shemaliah. Most of the time, this kind of projection, whatever somebody is accusing you of is what they're actually doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? When people assign to a righteous ministry, nefarious motives, yeah. it's because they have nefarious motives. Yeah. And they can't think. Look, when Paul was on trial, this happened too. You're out of your mind. Paul wasn't out of his mind. The people that thought they could bring judgment on him were out of their minds. We have to, we have to know what God says so that you can take your stand. Yeah. These kind of false prophets, God is of course against. And he does deal with them. But they've been present in every generation for a reason. You can have what you want. If you want righteousness, you can have that. If you want wickedness, he allows these things in the midst of the people so that they get to choose what they want. There's always going to be a Barabbas alternative to Jesus. The people get what the people want. We're going to have to tune our hearts and ears to want the right things. Amen. Saints, my brothers, my sisters. Something important that we're nearing a close tonight, and I want to make sure that you can see these three false prophets clearly for who they are. Hananiah, false prophet, peace and safety. And in two months after that proclamation, dead. What about Zedekiah and Ahab? Prophesied lies and misdirection. And yet they went into captivity and were killed in captivity. The last one, Shemaiah. Prophesying directly against Jeremiah. 
His generations were cursed. Yeah, wow. all seeds. Not just him. It didn't just affect him. It, the word literally says, the generations after you will not be remembered anymore. Wow. What do these men have in common? I'm going to tell you. What they have in common are empty words and empty actions that did not come from the Lord. What they said, they were not careful with. They did what was easy. They did what was expeditious. They did what was natural in their own mind. What made sense at the time? What it looked like because of the what was going on in Babylon and the insurrection that was happening. Well, it just makes sense to prophesy like this, right? It just makes sense to say this. It's going to happen this way. I can feel it, right? Their words were empty. And their actions were empty. And it produced death in them. And it destroyed the generations that were after them. Hey, we're going to read 29 to the end of the chapter. But I want you to get this. Hey, what matters at the end of the day is that what you proclaim is precise. It comes from God. It's something that you know that he's spoken. It's something that through orthodoxy, through history of godly men, has been proven time and time again, and something that you can take your stand on. And the things that you do are based on that truth and that kind of orthodoxy. That's the kind of life that is going to last. That's the kind of life that will end in perseverance. That will end where the Lord wants you to end. Come on. And that will speak the life into your sons and daughters yes. that they need to hear. You want to sustain this? You want to go farther in this? Yes. You want to take this all the way? Yes. Well, I do too, and this is how we get there. Yeah. Saints, let's pick up in verse 29 and read through the end of the chapter. And then we'll conclude some of the things that we've introduced to you. Zephaniah the priest, however, read the letter to Jeremiah, the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Send this message to all the exiles. This is what the Lord says about Shemaiah the Nehelamite. Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, even though I did not send him, and has led you to believe a lie. This is what the Lord says. I will surely punish Shemaiah the Nehelamite and his descendants. He will have no one left among his people, nor will he see, it, see the good things I will do for my people, declares the Lord, because he has preached rebellion against me. Saints, as we already outlined to you, the preaching of rebellion against the word of the Lord, no matter how justified or how pretty it was, it always ends in death. A passage that we have alluded to maybe five, six times during this teaching, but haven't read, is Luke chapter 16 discusses men who are shrewd on this earth and understand what they're investing in, and then applies it to the kingdom to come. Talks about whether we've been faithful with the little earthly things that we've been given. I want to tell you this evening that we are addressing conditions of men who are grasping, adding to the word of God. But if you're faithful with the little that he does give you, he'll add more. Amen. Luke 16 goes on to talk about you cannot serve two masters. I am pleased and regularly convicted in my soul to find out there's more two masters than me on a regular basis than I would like. I imagine that if you've been listening, 
you. Yeah. I found there's a good bit more of two masters in you than you would like. That's true. I want to suggest that Luke 16, 16 is our answer. Will one of the Rosales try and read it for me? The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. God granted us a gift of grace that you couldn't do anything for. You couldn't stop sinning. You couldn't stop serving one master that was wicked, much less a tension between two. But now he's given you the opportunity to force your way into real transparency, into real righteousness, not just professed spirituality, but an actual transformation and an actual revelation. Our hearts cry is that what you took from what we gave you this evening is that you can stand in the counsel of God yes. and you Amen. can be Jeremiah. Yes. Amen. Before we ask you to stand, uh, Pastor Matt and I are going to give you our honest reflections before you. I heard two topics that I know that is piercing my heart, and actually it's really just one topic. The very first thing that I want to talk to you about is those who hunger and thirst after righteousness can be filled. Yes. What you are now being filled with is actually a sign of what you're actually hungry for. Which directly leads to the next part of this. I hear a clarion call for us as a church to raise the standard of what we are saying that God is saying. Of what we are saying and actually allowing to come out of our mouths. And this is where I think they're the same thing. That shows where your heart is and what you're really hungry for. If you're hungry for the approval of man, that's why you're saying the things that you are. If you're hungry for affirmation, that's why we say the things that we do. Because whatever we're hungry for, God is faithful to fill us with. If we're hungry for his words in our mouth, he will fill your mouth with the words of heaven. If we're hungry for the approval, the applause, the accolades, and the affection of others, that's what comes out of our mouth. Words very clear. transform our speech. That we're not bearing false witness as ambassadors of God. Instead, we're rightly representing Him and bringing word that transforms other people. So let's begin to stand to our feet. As we pray, have an honest assessment of where your heart is and thereby the speech that comes out. Let the Lord help you identify those repeated patterns are trying to protect your reputation and how you look to others with your speech. Let that fear, let those fig leaves die in his presence. So as we lift up our hearts, let's expect that God can transform you.
mighty God of heaven and earth. But we see that there is no other word like your word. There is no other word higher than your word. What is your word and your word alone that is living and active and it's eternal? Lord, we look up to your throne right now, to where your word comes from. And we say, let your word transform our hearts right now. Lord, change us. Change us, Lord, so that it changes the way we speak about you, that we may rightly represent you. Lord, as we look at the magnificence of your name, we pray that here, here, our fears die. Here, our faithlessness dies. It's here that our false witness and testimony dies. Yes, Lord. So that we can live. Please take a moment. Stand rightly in his presence. Let your cries go out to him to transform your heart about the false testimonies that come from it. And expect that he can transform us.